So good morning, everyone. Welcome to Crossroads. So glad that you could all be here. It is an exciting time in church, and so uh, if, this is, if this is your first time with us, we are very uh, excited and glad that you're here. If it's your first time tuning in online, Facebook, YouTube, at the Madison County Correctional Facility, we are so glad that you could be uh, joining us. I'd like to introduce myself. My name is Cooper Young. I get to serve as the associate pastor here, and uh, it's a great day. It's cold. Some of you might feel tired, but that's why we did that good news to really get you energized so that you can be awake, okay? The sun is shining. It's a good day, right? And so uh, we are in the fourth week of a new series that we've been in. I guess it's not new anymore, right? It's the fourth week of our series. Uh, it's called Heaven on Earth. And, and as we've been talking about heaven on earth, we've been thinking about this question. What would it look like to make Sunday morning at Crossroads Community Church heaven on earth? What have we learned after three weeks? Well, we've learned that it actually takes a lot of things. We learned that it means being obedient to the teachings of Jesus. It means living in the power of the Holy Spirit, and it means creating an environment where any person is able to grow in their faith of who Jesus is. And so, and so what does it actually look like? Well, it looks like a lot of followers of Jesus trying to live their lives like Jesus in the power of, their, in the power of the Holy Spirit, where they are growing in their faith constantly. And so uh, uh, we are going to do that. We're going to create a space. And if we're going to create that environment, if we are going to be good soil for others to grow in their faith and understanding of who Jesus is, then there is something that has to be true for every single one of us. So what's that? Well, we all have to agree about who Jesus is. So who is Jesus? And that's an interesting question. I bet if I asked every single person in this room to grab a microphone, come on stage, and share with everyone who is Jesus, we would be lucky if two people had the same answer. Okay, word for word, it would, it would be a miracle. And so, so today we're going to answer the question of who Jesus is. And I know deep down when I say it, we're going to talk about uh, who is Jesus, a lot of you would say, really, Cooper, I've kind of been at this thing for a while. I know who Jesus is. And here's what I would ask you. Are you living as if you know who Jesus is? But before we get there, we're going to read our passage. So if you have a Bible or a phone, you can flip or scroll with us to Matthew chapter 13. If not, we'll have it up here on the screen. But again, if this is your first week, we've been going through the gospel account of the life of Jesus that was written by one of his disciples, Matthew. And so we started this all the way back before Easter, if you remember. We started going through Matthew before uh, Easter, before Christmas. Before Christmas, we started talking about before uh, how Jesus came into the world, right? And that, and that when Jesus came down into this world, earth received royalty, that Jesus came as a king. He came as the king of all kings. He is a good king, but when he came as the king, he also brought with him a new kingdom way, and the new way was found at the heart of Jesus' teaching, and it made it possible for people to experience a changed and a better life, the fullness of life. And now Jesus has been teaching about the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And that to the level and degree with which we choose to follow the example and the teachings that were taught and set by Jesus in our time on earth, they will determine 
how heavenly our experience on earth will be. And right now in the story, Jesus has crowds of thousands following him around, right? There's people who are just there to kind of witness and see all of these amazing miracles that Jesus is performing. There are people who are following along, really having their life turned upside down by these teachings that the world has never heard before, and they're trying to do them. There are some people like the Pharisees and the religious leaders who Jesus has dubbed as hypocrites because they are just trying to combat everything that Jesus says because they're afraid of him and they're afraid of the things he's teaching because it would mess up their whole reality of how they see the world. And so Jesus also has 12 disciples, 12 students of his that are his close friends that have been following him around for years now. And so because Jesus is doing all of these things and because there's so many people following him around, everyone kind of has a different opinion and perspective of what's actually going on here. Who is this sensation? What is this phenomenon that's going on? And so Jesus wants to take his close disciples and get them kind of out of all of that noise. And all of those crowds of people, they were mostly made up, if not all, of Jewish people. And so Jesus takes his disciples to this Gentile region, Caesarea Philippi, because he wants to get them away from all of the noise to really hear for themselves who he is. And so that's where we're going to pick it up. It's going to be in verse uh, 13. So if you turn with me to Matthew 16, uh, verse 13, uh, we will pick it up there. And like I mentioned, it will be on the screen. It says this, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Powerful stuff, powerful stuff. So the title of my message today is this, Wrong Jesus, Wrong Jesus, Wrong 
Jesus. And now, uh, there's actually a book that came out this week, just for sale, just for sale this week. So this is cutting-edge stuff, okay? It's by a guy who I love. His name is Kevin Burgess, okay? And so the title of the book is Dangerous Jesus. But I think the subtitle of the book is going to be really helpful for us today, and that's this. Why the only thing more risky than getting Jesus right is getting Jesus wrong. And my experience in life is that people just have Jesus all wrong. They have the wrong Jesus. And it all comes back to what people believe about Jesus. So what do people believe about Jesus? Well, I'll tell you what. Today, you'll be hard-pressed to find someone who doesn't believe that Jesus was a real human being who walked the earth. People are not trying to really debate this anymore. At this point, it's a historical fact. If someone doesn't believe that Jesus was real, they haven't, they're, they're, they're misinformed, okay? And, and people aren't trying to, like, debate that anymore. Jesus was real, real and he walked the earth, sorry. Jesus is real, and, uh, and people are pretty comfortable with that idea. But then who is Jesus? Now, maybe some of you have seen this movie before or heard of this scene, but there is uh, a scene in the movie called Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. It's an American classic. If you haven't seen it, I'm not encouraging you to see it, okay? I'm not endorsing this movie in any way, shape, or form. But there is, in fact, a scene when they're all sitting around the table enjoying a delicious meal of Domino's and Taco Bell, margarine, the like, right? KFC, the whole thing. And so uh, Ricky Bobby, he's praying, for, he's praying for their meal, and he endures his power rate in the prayer. And it's a very weird scene. It's a very weird scene. But here's how Ricky Bobby, Ricky Bobby opens up and he says, Dear Lord, eight pound, six ounce, baby Jesus, right? And he's like, with his little golden fleece dopper, not knowing a lick of a word yet. And so he constantly keeps saying, dear baby Jesus, and he's, he's talking to baby Jesus. And then finally, his wife is like, Jesus wasn't just a baby. He had a beard. He was a grown man. And then Ricky Bobby responds, well, I like the baby version better. I like the Christmas Jesus. That's the kind of Jesus that I want to talk to. And so he's talking about how he prefers baby Jesus. And then his buddy Cal over here, Cal's like, I like to picture Jesus uh, like wearing a tuxedo t-shirt because it says I'm formal, but I like to party. And, he, and he's He's singing lead vocals for Leonard Skinner with these big angel wings, right? Like, so he likes rock star Jesus. And then Ricky Bobby's sons, Walker and Texas Ranger, those are their names. Uh, they, they say, I prefer to think of Jesus as like a ninja who's fighting off evil samurai, right? And so, so everyone's got their own ideas, ideas and preferences of who Jesus is, Right? We all have these ideas, and there's, and there's a lot of different kinds of Jesus out there. I mean, some of you, you have probably grown up with this, this kind of Jesus, whether it's up in your grandparents' house or your own house, right? We've seen this Jesus. This is like the picturesque Jesus, right? I mean, he's a model. He's angelic looking. He looks like a lot of us. Uh, and so that's just kind of what people are used to, the picturesque Jesus. But, but then there's also movie star Jesus. We've all seen movie star Jesus, right? The, the passion of the Christ, right? Where this is, where it's like kind of horror movie Jesus, where it's like very gory, and he's very brutally beat up, and you don't understand a word that he says the whole time unless you got the subtitles on. And so we you know the passion of the Christ Jesus, but a lot of us recently have fallen in love with this Jesus, haven't we? If you like the chosen, you're like, I want to be his best friend. Yeah, like some of you, I mean, you guys, you would rather listen to him talk all day than me. And so that's not actually Jesus. We need to remember that, right? So, so we have all of these ideas of who Jesus is uh, because of things like the chosen, and if we're not careful, we end up projecting our preference of of who Jesus is on Jesus. 
versus getting to know him for who he truly is, for who he revealed himself as, and for who he said that he is. And there's actually a lot of wrong Jesuses that have emerged in our country, in our culture, and they have become people's preferred versions of who Jesus is. And it's because the people who we see as influential, the people who, who have our ear, they tell us who Jesus is versus allowing Jesus to tell us who he is. And so uh, Kevin Burgess, he actually in the book, which remember, you can't get your hands on yet, right? But already pre-sale, it is the number one book in Christology. If you know what, that's the study of Jesus. So that's kind of a big deal to be that. It's the number one book for that. And the reason I tell you all that is because I actually have a quote from the book because I got my resources. So you should feel good. This is cut. No one's heard this yet, okay? And so, so he's got a quote in here, and he points out a couple of the more popular versions of Jesus that man has created and sold to people. And so, so here's what he says. There are many prominent representations of Jesus, but who do you say that he is? Is he the ultra right-wing Jesus who spins a Christianity that is hostile towards the vulnerable and defensive of the powerful? Is he condemnation Jesus who spins a Christianity that insists that people know they're wrong without also insisting that people know they are loved? Is he patriot Jesus who places America at the center of the universe making the success of the United States tantamount with the success of God? Is he weak Jesus who spins a Christianity steeped in fear and fragility consumed with threat finding and subsequent retreat from culture? Is he vibes Jesus who spins a Christianity that is a partner to our good times but never challenges us to be holy or righteous? Is he winning Jesus that spins a Christianity that associates the presence of God with success, with little to say about suffering. Which Jesus is he? Because my heart is that we would see a Christianity that eclipses the Christianity of the land. A Christianity that cares for the marginalized, the poor, and the oppressed. A Christianity that has a global savior and a global agenda that is influenced by what is taking place all over the world, not just in suburban America. A Christianity that is not of this world, but is in this world. Meaning, it has an actual effect on people's mental, spiritual, social, economic, and emotional state. And this is how he closes. A Christianity that brings its adherence to the culture of heaven down to the culture of earth. And it is so dangerous to get who Jesus is wrong. Because not only does our eternity depend on getting it right, but so does our here and now. And if we ever want to see heaven on earth, Jesus was the model of what heaven on earth looks like. And so if we're trying to follow him and trying to replicate our lives after the example that Jesus set, and we have that example wrong, it's never going to work. And Jesus knew that this was the case too, because it was no different when he was walking around with the disciples. All of the crowds saw the things that they were happening, and like I said, they had their own opinions. So Jesus wants to remove the disciples from that experience and to really have their attention and to have their ears. So he brings them to this Gentile land of Caesarea Philippi. And he asks them, he says, who do people say the son of man is? Is. Now, did Jesus know what people were saying? Was he just totally ignorant? 
No. Jesus knew what people were saying, but he wanted the disciples to verbalize the wrong titles and the wrong interpretations of who Jesus was so that they could hear it first. And notice how, how, how Jesus says, the Son of Man, right? So this is something that would have been very familiar to the Jews at the time. The Son of Man was the apocalyptic Savior who was coming to rid the world of all evil and all oppression against God's chosen people, the Jewish people. And so this is who people were thinking about and who they were waiting for. And, 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 and they, the disciples knew that John and Jesus himself had both said that this was Jesus. But Jesus is asking, so what are the people saying? Who, who are the people saying that I am? And so the disciples, they reply, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. In other words, the people are getting wrong who Jesus is. They have the wrong Jesus, and that's dangerous. So they would still like to think in their minds, this is the Jewish people, that, that, the, that the Son of Man can't be Jesus because they're waiting for this, this crazy ruler who is going to come and just kick out Rome and, and, and remove all of the oppressive religious leaders and put the Jewish people back on top, uh, ready to rule over the whole world. And from what they've seen from Jesus, this just really isn't his thing. He's still healing people. He's caring about people that no one cares about. He's making food appear from nowhere. And they don't really see what they thought they were going to see. And that's because they had the wrong Jesus. And so he asked them this question. That whether you realize it or not, you answer every single day. It's the most important question you will ever be asked. And it's the question that if you get it right... It will cause you to change your life forever. So he asks his disciples. He looks at these 12 men who he's been walking around with for two and a half, three years, doing ministry with, serving with, sacrificing with, seeing all these amazing things with. And he looks at them very honestly. And he says, who do you say I am? So the disciples are all kind of looking at each other like, and so Peter, look at Peter's never afraid to be the one to talk, right? He's like, I, I will make myself the spokesperson of these disciples. And so Peter steps out and he says what I believe that he says confidently, straight to Jesus. Who do you say that I am, disciples? And then Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, what Peter says here is what I want every person on planet earth to believe and understand for themselves. Because believing in, putting your trust in, directing your whole life towards, putting your hope in, basing all of your life on what Peter just said is what should change, shape, and direct and focus how you live your life every single day. Peter says that Jesus is two things. The first, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Savior, that he is the one who, who the, the, the prophets have prophesied about, that he has come to fulfill all the things about who the Messiah is, that he is the Savior, that he is the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. And he is also, don't miss this, the Son of the living God. 
that Jesus was not just a powerful prophet. He was not just a persuasive communicator or one who had been given power by God, but that he is God. Over half of America believes that Jesus was a real person. More than that believe that, but over half, 52%, believe that he was a real person, but that he wasn't God. That he was a person just like you and me, who sinned just like you and me, and that he is no path to forgiveness or to heaven. And that is the crux of the cross. That the living God put on flesh and came to this earth to live a life just like you and I. But that he was different because he was fully man and he was fully God. And so Jesus, having lived a perfect and sinless life, goes to the cross as the Messiah to die in a way that no human has ever nor will ever die Again, that even though he was sinless, on the cross he became sin. He became the sin of the many so that we could have life. God gave his perfect life so that we could gain a forgiven life. And Peter said this while still standing on the other side of the cross. He said this never having seen Jesus pick up a cross and go to Calvary and be beaten and brutalized and killed on the cross and then get put in a tomb and be raised back to life three days later. Peter hadn't seen that. So, so how does P Peter know that? And so Jesus hears this and he's ecstatic because for the first time he is seeing his church be built. And this is what Jesus said. He said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. This wasn't Peter's preference of who Jesus was. This wasn't one of the prevailing stereotypes of who Jesus was. This was no man-made version of Jesus. This was Jesus' true identity. The only reason we are in this church today is because Jesus predicted his death and resurrection and then he pulled it off. And no one has ever done that since. Peter hadn't seen that. Peter couldn't even imagine that. And yet by the grace of God, he gave Peter the ability to have faith in who Jesus was. And the same can be true for you. Because at that moment, Jesus tells Peter, and I tell you, that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. John tells us that when Jesus first saw Simon, he said that he would now be called Cephas, okay? Remember, the disciples in Jesus, they spoke in Aramaic, okay? So Cephas comes from the Aramaic word kepa for rock. So Cephas translated into Greek is Petro, which is where we get the word Peter from, and it means rock. So Jesus gives him the name that means rock. Jesus gave Peter his name because Peter was going to have a special ministry. Peter was going to have a special calling. Jesus said, 
that I tell you, you are Peter, you are a rock, and on this rock I will build my church. But I believe when Jesus is saying, on this rock I will build my church, he is talking about the truth that has just been revealed to Peter that came out of his mouth. And that on that rock, Jesus is going to build his church. That Jesus is going to build his church on the identity of who he, he is. That the church is built on the true identity of who Jesus is. Who is Jesus? Well, Peter, metaphorically, the first rock, the first living stone, the first living rock that is building the church because he was the first to declare the true identity of who Jesus is. He got it right first. And Peter's understanding of who Jesus is is what changed his life forever. But the truth didn't come from the ideas of people. It came from God, the giver of truth. And so Jesus is seeing his church in Peter being built for the first time over this declaration. Now, uh, the word church here that, that, that Jesus talks about is the word in Greek, ekklesia, ekklesia. This was a nothing word when Jesus said it. To us, we know what it means. It's a very much so a something word. But at that time, no one knew what the, no one cared about the word ekklesia. All it meant was group or gathering, a called out group, right? A called out group or a group of people who gathered to be sent out. That is all that church meant. It was not a religious word at that time in any way. But Jesus, he was intentional when he spoke it because that is what Jesus' church is. It is a called group who gathers to be sent. And Jesus said that not even the gates of Hades, the gates of hell or Sheol could stand against it, could ever prevent uh, Jesus' church from remaining as his main vehicle for bringing hope to the fallen world. That there was no weapon or power of Satan, of darkness or evil that could prevent Jesus' mission for the church here on earth. And so what's the devil's most powerful weapon? Death. Physical death. And Jesus says, it doesn't matter how many Christians die throughout history. The church isn't a person. The church is my body. And the church is built on my true identity. And I will care for it. I will sustain it. I will sanctify it until I come back to fully redeem it and restore it back to myself. Because I beat death. I am more powerful than death. So no scheme of man nor the enemy can ever rid the earth of the heaven that the church brings. And so how does Jesus follow up this immensely powerful moment? By telling the disciples the good news of the gospel. He told them the plan for how Jesus was going to bring fulfillment to his true identity. He told them how he was going to accomplish the rescue mission of the world that he was sent to carry out. He said that he must go to Jerusalem. He said that he must uh, suffer many things at the hands of the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And that he must be killed and raised back to life. Jesus knows this is the good news. But Peter feeling pretty confident about his previous answer, has something to say to Jesus. And so he takes Jesus 
and he brings Jesus aside, away from the disciples, privately, one-on-one, and he starts to rebuke Jesus. He starts to yell at Jesus, and he says, no, wrong, Jesus. You will never die. God can't die. The Messiah can't suffer and die. This is not who you are. And Jesus responds, and he is saying nothing about blessed are you. He says, get behind me, Satan. Why? Because Peter was tempting Jesus away from God's will and God's good purpose for his life. Peter was trying to decide for Jesus who he was. And Jesus is like, no, dude. I don't follow what you want to be true about me. I am the truth, and you can't handle the truth. So get behind me. I don't follow you. You follow me. And now, in this moment, Peter isn't being used as a rock to build up the church. He isn't being used as a rock to accomplish God's good purposes. He's being used as a different rock, a rock that all of us can be used in the same way. He's being used as a stumbling rock, a rock that Satan was using for his purposes to try and thwart God's will. And look at the reason why Peter allowed himself to so quickly be turned from a living rock to build the church to a stumbling rock who's getting in the way. Jesus says, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human Concerns. In other words, whatever we set our minds on determines the direction of our lives. How we see Jesus is determined by what we have our mind set on. When we start to see Jesus differently than as our Lord and Savior, we begin to have the wrong Jesus. It is because our minds are set on human things rather than on the things of God. What are human things? A desire for more power. A desire to fulfill whatever appetite we have. A desire to be able to decide for ourselves what what truth is. A desire for ourselves to control our lives and direct our lives and be our own God. Those are human things. What are God things? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, humility, service, sacrifice. See, the reason why we can so often so easily get Jesus wrong is because we so willingly allow our minds to be changed by the things of the world. And we need to change our mind. We need to have our minds changed. So how do we begin to practice setting our minds on the things of God? Guess who has the answer? Jesus, that's right. Jesus, he closes the section. He says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny their self and take up their cross and follow me. Unpopular opinion for today's world and culture. Whoever, we need to deny our self. You will hear no one else saying this. 
Okay, the popular saying of today is to be true to yourself, to love yourself, to embrace yourself. And Jesus said, if you do that, you are no follower of mine. If you want to follow Jesus into the best life available to you here on this, in this world, then you need to deny being true to yourself, deny loving yourself, deny embracing yourself, because apart from Jesus, yourself is sinful. It's selfish, and it does not have in mind the things of God. So we have to deny ourselves. And then do what? Well, Jesus says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life will, will for me, will find it. And so, and so what do we do? We have to take our cross. Picking up a cross is no fun. We have to take up our cross. We have to pick it up. We have to put it on our shoulder. Picking up a cross means that we're headed to suffer and die. How does that ever lead to my best life? That doesn't make any sense to us. And so a lot of times we start trying to like pad the cross, throw some bubble wrap on there, put a little shoulder pillow, make it a little more comfortable to try and carry the cross. But, 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 but until we deny ourselves, uh, uh, that's not how we do it. And so we come up with our own preferences for what following Jesus means. And then we just end up with the wrong Jesus. But Jesus said, if you want to save your life, lose it. And when you lose it, you lose it on the cross. And if you lose your old self, your broken self, your sinful self, I'll give you a new self. I'll give you a new life. I will give you the fullness of life. And until we deny ourselves, we will never actually know the right Jesus. We will only ever have the wrong Jesus. And getting Jesus wrong leads to death and separation from God. But getting Jesus right, that leads to life and life to the full. We need to get rid of, take off, deny our sinful self that wants to do life all on its own because then we will see Jesus for who he truly is. Our good, loving, gracious, gentle, merciful, humble, victorious, healing, and redeeming Savior. So this past week, I actually had something very scary happen to me, okay? I found myself alone and I found myself stuck. How many people have ever felt stuck in life? And ever feel stuck in life? It's hard, right? Is it easier when you're all alone? It's not, it's not, right? It's hard. It's scary. You don't really know what to do. You start to spiral. So uh, this past Thursday morning, I was working out in my parents' basement, okay? It's very cold. We all know this. I was a wrestler in high school. I learned how to sweat even when it's cold because I was a wrestler. Shout out to Andrew Bailey, uh, undefeated Bear State champ. Yeah, 189 pounds. That's amazing. Okay, great job. Wrestler, wrestling. Okay, so what did wrestling teach me? It taught me a lot of good things. It taught me how to sweat. You say, that's gross. I don't care. It's gross. Um, so I'm wearing a lot of layers when I'm working out. That's what I do, right? Because I like to sweat. And so I got sweatpants on. I got a t-shirt. I got a Division One athlete quarter zip. Doesn't matter why. And I've got a hoodie on, okay? And so I got all these layers on. And I just worked out. And so I'm drenched, okay? Because, like, why are you telling me this? Uh, I'm drenched. And so in order to, like, get these gross clothes off and, like, get clean, get in the shower, get some new clothes on, I got to get these clothes off. And so uh, the way I have to take uh, my layers off is I can't take them one at a time because they're all stuck. And so I have to just grab them from the bottom and then rip them off, right? And so remember, I'm home alone. And so I'm home alone and I take the, all the layers and I'm in a rush. And so I rip them off as qu quickly as I can. And then all of a sudden, 
It is dark, I am confused, and I am choking. So this is scary, I don't know what's going on. Basically, when I had taken off all of my layers, I had never unzipped my quarter zip. And so that is still on my head and on my face and sticking to my face and it's choking me. And this is really scary. And so I'm like ripping, I'm ripping at the shirt and I'm like hitting my head on the corners of the wall and the dog's barking at me because he doesn't know what's going on. And it's just, it's a messy scene, folks, okay? If you want to know what it looked like, I could barely see through the film of the, of the, the quarter zip. And so I have a picture. This was me, okay? So you can see, I have the, the thing stuck on my head and the shirts, the way that the shirts fell, they made it impossible to put it back on my head so that I could like undo the zipper. So I have no way to get out of this thing and I'm freaking out, okay? So I'm like, do I really have to call someone and explain to them my current situation? Because I don't know what to do. I'm going to be late for work. I'm like, this isn't good. So I kind of sit on the ground defeated. I'm like, I think I have to get some scissors and cut my division one, like only, only, like only piece of division one swag I have. This is, this is a hard moment. And so I'm like, I don't know what to do. And so I'm sitting on the floor, I'm defeated. And, I, and, and this is what happens when we refuse to deny our sinful selves, okay? Our old selves, the very selves that the world tells us to embrace and Jesus tells us to deny. We get stuck. We don't see the world clearly as we should. We are unable to put on the new clothes of Christ and follow him because we're just still walking around with all of our our old gross selves hanging over our heads and blinding us from seeing life as God created it to be and to see Jesus for who he truly is. And so I said to myself, I'm sitting there, I said, self, you really need to get these old clothes off. And so I prayed. I was like, God, can you please help me here? And then all of the sudden, the zipper, no, it didn't happen. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Can you imagine? How much better of a story would it be? That's okay. No, I sat there. I said, I gotta get these off. And so I set my mind on, I can get this off, right? But it took some stretching of my old self. And so I ripped up the collar and I took it off my head and I was able to get clean and put new clothes on. It's a happy ending. But I could see, I could breathe. And I was finally able to put on those fresh clothes. So what are we doing here? Okay, here's what I, here's here to close. When we set our minds on the things of God, when we deny ourselves and we take up our cross to follow Jesus, we see him for who he truly is. He is the Messiah. He is our savior. He is the one who set the example for us on how to live a saved life. And he is the living God who wants a relationship with you and with you and with you and with everyone in this world. And when we get that right, when we get Jesus right, when we get the identity, the true identity of who Jesus is right, we have the rock to build our life on. We have the rock to build the life of our church on. And we, when we live life like that, where we are a living rock that is building up the church by carrying out the purpose of God, taking up our cross, not being a stumbling rock that's used by the enemy, then wherever we go, we build God's kingdom and we experience heaven on earth. So come on, let's change our mind. Let's take our cross. Let's deny ourselves and follow Jesus together. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. God, we thank you for all that you are doing here at Crossroad. God, we thank you for the lives that you're changing. God, we thank you for uh, the truth about who Jesus is. God, help us to not get it wrong. 
Lord, help us to not remember what he did, how he lived, what he was willing to do for us when he gave his life. Lord, I pray if there's anyone in the room right now who doesn't know who Jesus is, this is the first time. And you would speak to their hearts, God, that you would lead them closer to you, that they would truly uh, uh, put their belief, place their trust, and commit their lives to following after him to become more like Jesus every single day. Lord, and I pray that that would be the case for our church. God, that every single day, every single week, that we together, both on our own, wherever you bring us, as well as when we come together here on a Sunday morning, God, that you would help us to love one another in such a way. God, that you would help us to love others in such a way. God, that we would love you in such a way that reflects who Jesus is. Lord, I pray that you would use us. God, I pray that you would be glorified through our service. God, I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and worship with us?